Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So, with, with the church, uh, we read it at Ephesians 4, but there is something like really beautiful that is supposed to happen in the church. When those things start to happen, you see God really open up the gates to people being able to understand who He is better. So when I come up and I thank the worship team, I really mean that because I couldn't do worship music. Man, that'd be horrendous if I had to do that myself. I'm not a musical person. But not only that, though, you'll notice that Brittany wasn't up here today because we have people that are stepping up and, and they're using their giftedness to be able to serve this body. And that's what we've been talking about during this series. So Trish and the team, they gave us a gift because when people step up, that gives your leaders, it does, it gives your leaders a gift. So what Brittany and I were able to do on Thursday is we, could, we went down to Hartford and we got to go to a marriage retreat together. And we got to spend a couple days down there actually just pouring into each other and pouring into our marriage. And that's not something that we get to do a lot. We pour a lot of ourselves into other people. So to be able to take a, a weekend away where as much as we love our kids, we didn't have them with us. Uh, so we didn't have any real responsibilities. It's a weird feeling when you don't have that. And we didn't have anybody that needed care or whatever. It was just like... This is a time way for us. And we went down early because we knew we were coming back up. The retreat's still going, but because I'm such a good pastor and I love you guys so much, I left early. Um, no, we went down early because I knew that. Like, I knew I wanted to be here to preach this series. And so we went down a day early. And it was just such a gift to know that we had Trish and others that were serving, and that freed us up. Uh, another way it frees uh, leaders up is we don't have to feel the pressure of having to minister to every individual person. Because that's not how Jesus modeled his church, right? Like, he had disciples. Jesus didn't minister to every single person, right? And so his expectation is that that, that means that everybody gets to learn how to do this together. But here's what the hard thing is your pastor. Because I know some people, that's what they want. They want myself uh, and Pastor Dean back in the day. They wanted, or Terry or Brittany, wanted that direct connection with the leaders there. And that can put serious pressure on leadership if there's not others in the church that are being built up to say, no, 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 we'll help carry this load. Like, we'll, we'll model this and we'll teach other people how to do this. Because we've had people leave our church because they had said specifically to me, I just don't feel seen by you, Pastor Kyle. I don't, I don't feel like you come and, and, and on Sunday mornings and you point me out and you talk to me specifically. And I'm not belittling that. That's like a real felt hurt by this person. But it's also something that I just can't do. You know, you all came rolling in here this morning and I, I talked to maybe four of you, right? And it was just like, hey, hi, Ted, how's it going? You know, and then I'm off to the next person, you know. But it's just like that's, that's the gift, though, that the body gives the pastor. So on average, I think I've said this before, pastors last about three years in the church. Youth pastors last, last about 18 months in the church. And it's like, man, are we grinding up these people? Like, what, what, what are we doing wrong? Is it them? Is it church? I don't know. But still, it's not a long time. And so there's, I, I think of that as your pastor, I want to do a better job of really helping the body understand it's called a ministry. You know, and, it, and it's like, and the blessing that it is when you guys get to come alongside people and you guys get to go do maybe a hospital visit. Because when you guys are doing those things, I'm visiting somebody else in the hospital. I'm writing up a funeral sermon, right? I'm visiting somebody, calling somebody that just had major surgery and had all their teeth removed or had major back surgery or on and on and on. 
Like, I get to do those things as well. And so I want you to know, because people have almost expressed that to me, that they fear that I'm not, I don't want to do the, like, hands-on pastoring. And they, they feel like, oh, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, man, I know, I understand that. And I say all that because this isn't just a transition time. Uh, you know, Dean and Terry retiring, that's big enough as it is. And then now, okay, now Kyle's here, and now we're, like, we're talking specifically about some of these things. It's like, oh, man, I know, it's a transition time. So... I ask you to be patient. I ask you to be understanding. And, I, and then I ask you, too, to step into what God's called you to do. Because that, man, when I, what I'm watching happen at Claywell Church is, is awesome. That people are stepping up and people are loving other people. And I'm just hearing stories of how bills are getting paid. Hospital visits are being made. Like, all these things are being made. Meals are being made. And I'm having no part of it whatsoever. I don't even know what's happening until I hear about it afterwards. That's the body of Christ. Loving one another as Jesus has called us to do. That's a cool a cool thing to watch. So here's what I want to read to you to start us off about. I want to give us many things to think about in this series. The heart of this series is not just church leadership, what we're going to get into now. It's the church. It's reminding us every week from a different angle, what is this church thing? So in Philippians 2, Paul is, it says this, and, I, and I, I want you to think about this. He says, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. This is something we struggle with culturally, I think. Unity does not mean uniformity. That's really, really, really important to remember as a follower of Jesus, but just in general, if you want to stay sane in our culture. Unity does not mean uniformity. The early church was mixed up with rich, poor, free, slave, Jew, non-Jew, and then everything else. Languages, culture, everything. The early church that this was being written in was so diverse and that's beautiful, right? Multiple cultures, multiple backgrounds, multiple everything come together, not in uniformity, but in unity. Why? Because we as a church should be rallying around the gospel and say, we're going to, despite all of our differences, we're still going to get this thing done because we do things differently in this community. We're patient, like we read earlier, right? We're kind with one another. We're understanding of one another. We have the courage to call one another out if we're being stupid or sinful or both. And we have the humility to accept that if we're being stupid, simple, or both, right? And that's tough to do. But Paul says we need to be united in this purpose. And so this made me think of a movie, one of the best movies of all time, uh, is the movie Miracle. Uh, it's a hockey movie, and it's made about a team in 1980, right? These funky little guys were going to go to the Olympics, and not only do that, but they were going to win against the most formidable opponents, probably of all time, right? The Russians. Not to mention, they were the Russians, and it was the Cold War, right? And so you have all that mixed up. These guys, though, here was their problem, and the coach, Herb Brooks, had to address this. They always wanted to see themselves, and it starts in the very beginning. They always wanted to see themselves as the guys that played at Minnesota or the guys that played at Boston U. Like, they, they, they were who they played for, and it created all this disunity. And so here's my point out of Philippians. What Herb Brooks was trying to do was to get them to understand they did not play for their college, nor do they represent their college. He says this quote right here to his team, right before we're going to, I'm going to watch a clip with you guys. He says, the name on the front is a heck of a lot more important than the name on the back. He was getting sick and tired of them not playing for the United States of America and representing the United States of America. And so here's what he saw, and this is the clip for background. He sees his guys in this first round of the Olympics getting whipped by guys, by another team that they should be beating. 
But what were they doing on the bench? They're looking up in the stands at all the pretty girls. They're trying to set up dates. They're not paying attention at all to the game. And he's just seeing, again, this individualism. They don't care about the country they represent. They don't care about their team. They're just ready to get off the ice. You know, win or lose doesn't matter. I just want to go out and date these pretty European girls. And he is losing his mind, Coach Herb Brooks is. So the game ends, and he's not going to just let them go home. No, 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 no. No pretty girls for you tonight, fellas. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to skate until you vomit, until you finally understand that we represent, again, not ourselves, but the United States of America. And it's not until they're skating back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's not until Michael Ruzioni finally, finally stops everything and says this in the scene right here. I just want to go do something. I don't know what it's going to be, but we're going to get out of here. We're going to conquer the world. Because it's like, finally, right? He's sending them back and forth, back and forth, and it's just like they will not get it. Like, they just keep saying, who are you? What's your, who do you play for? And every single time, it's my name and my college, my name and my college. Finally, finally, somebody realizes that the name on the front is a heck of a lot more important than the name on the back. And I wonder, what if Quayball Church saw themselves that way? Like, what if Christians saw themselves as representing something, something way more important than themselves? Someone, a kingdom way more important than themselves. How differently would we be? How differently would we act? How much different would church be if we represented the kingdom? If we represented the king and everything he's about, then just about my own desires, my own politics, my own opinions. Like, what if we just subjected all that to Jesus and said, well, let me make sure I follow Jesus first. Man, that's that is powerful. And so I just want to keep every week, because this essentially this series is essentially about what is church. And so each week I just want to introduce, again, something different, a different angle to think about to help us understand that point right there. All right, so let me jump ahead, uh, PJ, to Ephesians 4.1. Because essentially what we're doing here is we are trying to walk worthy, like we read earlier, of the calling that you have received. And this, like we talked about last weekend, this is what the deacon does. And as we try to understand the church, it's important to understand the different components of the church, people that are serving, and the way that they're serving. And last week I talked about the, the things that they do as a deacon. And I introduced this idea because I know a lot of people are confused about what a deacon does. But a, a deacon, you get the right person with the right character serving as a deacon, and you're going to start to see the church become what it's supposed to become. 
you're literally going to see the care, yes, but you're also going to see people that are able to walk away from things like addiction because they've got now people that are like really living life in a sacrificial way with them. You're going to find people, as we have in both of these in our church, that are walking away from financial ruin because other Christians came alongside them and helped them understand. Like the Christians that were raised up to come alongside help. That's a real world thing, and you're seeing people literally being freed in church history throughout the years from slavery, from bondage, from oppression. Right? So all these things become very, very real when the church begins to really step into that. And the deacon in a local church is the model for that, that servant person, that servant leader. And that's what we talked about last week. What do they do? Because they, they set the model for that. And at our church, the way it's, it's structured is kind of like this, but not quite. And again, as I mentioned, uh, I think last week, Dean and Terry and I have been talking about this, this kind of stuff in our Constitution and making these, some of these changes, you know, I don't know, a decade or so, you know. And so the things that we're talking about are things that we've been thinking about, praying about, feeling out for a while now. But the model that we have in the Bible is what we're trying to like, work toward. And we're kind of there, but we want to make sure we're clarifying why we do things the way we do. So go to the next slide there, PJ. Because elders lead ministry, what we see in the Bible. Deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry. And a lot of churches, just like ours, it's been a tradition for a long time, and most of the churches that I've been a part of, there's not really been a, an official elder role, which we'll get into next weekend. It's mostly been deacons um, acting and being facilitated as elders. And so then that, the question is, well, who does the deaconing if the deacons are doing the eldering, so to speak? And that's, again, what is church? It's all of us stepping into the roles that God has called us to and then being faithful to those. So this is the, what we get in Scripture, and this is what we're just trying to do here, and it's what's in our Constitution anyway. So I'm trying to bring, clar- bring clarity to what we're talking about and what we're doing. So last week, what did they do? This week, who is a deacon? So the qualifications of a deacon, uh, I want to look at briefly, um, but importantly. So the qualifications in the New Testament, the character of a person is much more important than the responsibilities. So this is huge. A lot of people get wounded by church leadership because they have more charisma than they do character. Right? Hear me on that. A lot of churches have wounded people because they have people in positions of authority and leadership or influence, and they have more charisma than they do character. The New Testament gives us this equation right here. The responsibilities are largely up to us. Like, we have to figure that part out and flesh that out. But the character part, man, we cannot, we cannot move on that. That's, that's got to be really, really important for a deacon because, again, they're, they're what they would do in a church, but then also the example that they set for all of us. And here's what Mount says, a uh, biblical scholar. He says, Paul is concerned with the right type of person and that right type of person being appointed to leadership. So that's what Paul is getting at here. And in 1 Timothy 3, so I'm going to do a biblical overview and teaching of what, what the New Testament expects of our leaders. And again, I, I try to, I always be so dry, like I don't understand. No, this is why people in churches get hurt, because we don't talk about these things enough. By doing this, I'm basically putting, as we should, I'm submitting all of our leaders to the accountability of our church, because that's how it should be. We should submit, our leaders should also be held to the same standard as everyone, because our leaders should smell like sheep, right? Because we are of the sheep, we are of the flock. So in First Timothy 3, this is where you see it laid out the characteristics of elders, and there's more places for elders, but this is how First Timothy 3 breaks down the sections that we'll be looking at. 3, 1 through 7 is next week. That's going to be next week, and then today we're going to look at the qualifications for elders as, or deacons as laid out 
and these verses because I want you to clearly understand what our leadership should be held accountable to. Churches don't do this. Maybe they don't talk about it. I don't know. We put our leaders on too high of a pedestal and then people get hurt. Because the higher on the pedestal you're put, the less accountability you feel like there is in your life. And we're just not going to do that here. Right? We're going to make it clear what we're being held accountable to. Okay? So in this section, guys, 8 through 13, guys get seven qualifications, women get three. Uh, and so let's look at that, this high bar of expectation. So verse 8, likewise, because he just got done talking 1 through 7 about elders, likewise, deacons should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first. If they prove blameless, then they can serve as deacons. And verse 11 here, this is an important one. We'll come back to this in a minute. Women's and, women and or wives, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful, and everything. Deacons are to be husbands of one wife, managing their children and their own household competently. For those who have served well as deacons, acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So let's just break these out a little bit and look at some of these here. This is what I want you to hold our leadership accountable to. We should be people worthy of respect in here and out of here, right? In our community, in our families, we should be people worthy of respect. Next, and that's mentioned twice, so not hypocritical. So there should be no glaring differences. I met a deacon once and another, I worked for him actually in another state far away, so it's not anybody around here. But I remember he was a deacon, and he was doing and saying things I felt were inappropriate, one for a Christian, but especially for a deacon. So I called him out on it, and it was awkward. This is my boss. But I said, hey, aren't you a deacon at your church? And he said, yeah, but that's just on Sundays. This is Tuesday. And I was like, what? And I'm thinking, man, are you kidding me right now? Like, heaven forbid that happened here. Heaven forbid that would happen here, and I would ever find out if one of our leaders had an attitude like that. That would infuriate me, because that made me so angry for his church and for all the people that had worked that he affected that way. Not hypocritical. Don't abuse alcohol, right? It's not saying that you can't use it, but, man, you better be careful with it, because alcohol can do a lot of damage to families, to communities, all that kind of stuff. So you better not be abusing it. Not greedy for money? Well, why? Because you're generous. You're Christ-like. You help other people financially. And then be true to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience as compared to false teachers. They must be tested, right? Not Don't put a new Christian in one of these positions. Test them first, then let them serve in this role. They shouldn't be a slander. Don't be a gossiper. Don't be running your mouth. They need to be self-controlled, right, in general. And then they need to be faithful in everything. And men specifically should be sexually and maritally faithful. And if you're married with kids, well, I should say if you're married, potentially, and then if you're, you have kids, potentially, men should lead the family well. Not perfectly, but they should be leading their family well. They should be going in a direction of Christ-likeness. So, like I said before, deacons at Quaybog, that's what we're holding our deacons accountable to. But what we're going to see happen over the next several months, the reason, one of the reasons we're doing this series, is that deacons board is going to go through a process of becoming the elders board. And then our elders are then going to appoint deacons, which then will be presented at our annual meeting. So I just want you to know why we're doing some of this stuff, because it's already in the Constitution as laid out when Dean and Terry planted the church a couple years ago, right? And so we're going we're gonna, to we're explain why, why that is. Well, what does that look like, right? And so that's some of the transitions you're going to see. Now, since we're going to be not like 
it's not a new role, but we're just we're just clarifying and formalizing the role of a deacon. And so the question is, who can be a deacon? Um, so first and foremost, who are, who are one day, and of course this all has to be voted on, right? And the church gets inside on this stuff. But if the church says yes to all these things, then the elder board is going to say, all right, the first and foremost, our line in the sand is the next slide. It's going to be a seasoned Christian that lives with visible Christ-like character. That's who our deacons need to be. Our elders as well, but especially these deacons, and that's what we're talking about today. A second question that has come up and people have asked me about, can women serve as deacons? Now, for some of you sitting in here or watching, you're going to be like, I don't know, I don't care, or I've never really thought about it, not that big a deal to me, or you may be on the other end and be like, I have really passionate views about this one way or the other. So again, deacons slash deaconesses already in our constitution, already in the bylaws, and we're just going to bring that forward. That's one of the things that's not changing, but we're going to clarify it. Now, what I want to do today is say, well, why? Like, why is that a thing? Why? Because again, some of you don't come from traditions where this matters at all. Some of you do. Some of you don't care. But at least at the very most, I want to say, at the very least, I want to say, this is what the Bible says, and this is why we're doing these things. All right? So first, thing to consider. A lot of churches, like ours have, because of size and just because of need, their, their deacon board is essentially an elder board. Like, that's what our deacon board is now. They operate as an elder board. They, they lead the church kind of from the 30,000-foot view. Right? That's what they do. Right? And there's a lot of churches for a long time and all over the country that have done that, and so have we. And so there's a little confusion because of that. It's like, well, no, because they can't because that's in church leadership. Well, kind of, right? So that's just something to consider that a lot of churches, they're, again, they're kind of, they're overlapping a little bit on those two roles. So I just want to point that out in case maybe that's your tradition. Uh, number two, what I've learned uh, answering this question is that there's been a lot of research done by brilliant Bible-loving Christians, uh, and there's been no clear winner to the answer to this question. Uh, I believe the weight is that, yes, women can serve as deacons. Uh, and I think that's why it's in our Constitution, as it is now in our bylaws, but I want to explain why that is. But, again, there's, it's, it's not a tier one issue. There's, there's, there's space for disagreement on this. Uh, third, since it's in the Constitution, uh, we want to recognize and honor women in this regard. Uh, I believe that it can be a tough thing for a woman in a church, or even in a workplace, like this bleeds over to all areas I know for a lot of women, and that we want the women to serve in these roles in churches, but we're not going to recognize them with the title commensurate to that of the servant. We're not going to officially recognize them in that role. And that's frustrating for a person because if your boss did do that to you at work, if they were like, hey, I want you to take on all this extra responsibility, but we're not going to give you the pay, title, or respect commensurate with that role, you're going to be like, hmm, I'm going to have, I'm going to hard pass on that, Right. Because, or if you're already in that role, you know how stressful that is, and you're asking for the promotion, you're asking for the pay raise, you're asking to be recognized what you're doing, but, and not in a spiteful way, but I believe a lot of churches can fall into that role. We're going to have these women do this role, but we're not going to recognize them officially with that title that's commensurate with that lead servant role that they're in. So I believe it's important to honor women uh, for their service. And then fourth, uh, something to know as a side note, deaconess is not in the Bible, so I'm not going to use deaconess. It's like saying Dr. S or Teacher S, right? That we don't say that. There's not, that's not in the Bible. It just says deacon. And so we're never going to say deacon S. It's just you're a, a deacon. Okay? So, some reasons that I'm saying yes to this. And again, I know there's some disagreement, and I know that some people don't care about this, but it's important for us to know why we do what we do. We're not trying to do things in the shadows here, okay? So, first of all, um, the, to answer this question, Scripture does not forbid women deacons. Uh, it, it, it's not going to say explicitly, no, women cannot serve in this role. And so I want to be careful as your pastor 
not to build walls around things that aren't clearly in Scripture. That's an easy thing to do as a leader. It's like, well, I don't really know, and this is kind of tradition, and I'm not sure, so I'm just going to build walls around it because it's easier. And so we don't want to do that at Quaybrook Church. Again, that's why it's already in the Constitution, because it's not something that's explicitly forbidden. So we're not going to do that either. And then that tricky passage that I read earlier, the women slash wives. This is a little more nerdy, uh, but I want you to stay with me because it's important, right? So 1 Timothy 3.11 says this. Next slide. Wives or women, depending on how you know your translation saying might be, that Greek word is gunaikos. Uh, that's a plural word of gunai, which is women, or woman, rather. So women, likewise, right, because it's setting women specifically apart to be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful, and everything. The important thing to think about this, and again, this is not huge maybe for you, but when I, as your pastor, need to look at Scripture and say, okay, am I actually doing the right thing? If you were to write, most any of us were to write anything like this, and we wanted to apply something specifically to deacons' wives, we would say, they're wives. Paul was brilliant with the pen, and if he wanted, he could have put the Greek word for there, the possessive pronoun, in front of gunakos. All the manuscripts that we have, that we found, that we can verify, don't have that. Altos is the Greek word for there, and it's just not there. So if he wanted to say their wives, he would have said their wives, but he didn't. So what makes us lean toward, uh, he's talking about women can serve in this role and be recognized in this role? It seems to be that's what he's saying. Also, think about the things that need to be done by women for women. There's some things that you, if you needed really attention or you needed care, you're not going to want a dude to show up at your house. Right? Who are we going to send? Well, we're going to send a woman that we have trusted. A woman that our church recognizes officially, not just as a helper, but this person, this woman, is a recognized servant leader in our church. She's entrusted because she's got this kind of character, and we're going to send her to do that ministry. I don't meet with women in like a lot of different scenarios just because I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to open up any doors. I don't want rumors. It's not because I don't trust that woman or I don't trust myself. It's because I love this body enough to make sure that, that that would never even be something that would be said, right? And because I'm, I know that it's better for sometimes, not always, but sometimes for a woman to do that. So given that reality, women aren't just serving as a role of a wife. They are serving as a role of deacon, a really important role within the church. Also, something to consider out of this passage. You will see next weekend, but in verses 1 through 7, Paul is addressing the leaders of the church, elders. Again, these are the guys at 30,000 foot. They're doing all the leadership of the church. And in that section, there's no mention of women at all. So if this is just talking about wives, the argument then is, so Paul really cares about the wives of its servants, but he doesn't care about the wives of its leaders? But that seems odd that he would do that. I mean, think about that. These guys, these, this group, your elder board, they're going to lead your whole church and their wives. They're like, ah, they can do whatever. But now their helpers, our recognized helpers, our servant leaders, their wives, they really, their character needs to really be on point. That's, that doesn't make sense to me. So out of this one verse, I see everything pointing to, man, let's, let's honor women. Let's honor their service. Let's honor their role in our church. And let's make sure they're people of high character. So how this, um, this all breaks down is, let's go to number three, uh, PJ. So women are described as doing the work of deacons in the New Testament. That's another big thing for me. When I look at the New Testament, I look at women, and Paul recognizing women as playing incredibly important roles right alongside himself and other leaders in the church. They're doing these things on the next slide here. 
They're doing this kind of stuff. They are ministering in visitation. They're instruction in discipleship. Think Priscilla and Aquila, right, in the church uh, with Apollos. And they're, they're getting assistance in baptism. They're evangelizing and, and uh, like in getting involved in apologetics right alongside the Apostle Paul. They're caring for the needy. They're opening their homes, their own church. Like, think about Lydia for, like, home churches and their financial, gen- their financial generosity, like Lydia and like Phoebe will look at in a second. So I just want us to understand, like, the, the role that women uh, have in church can, can really be looked at as just like, man, this is super restrictive. But what I see is this wildly important and wildly freeing and liberating role for women to serve alongside men in the local church. Uh, and so, and we'll get into, uh, you know, eldership next week. But what I see here is clearly that, like, in this culture especially, this would have been really awkward. Like, really awkward. Because the life of a woman in this world in the first century was super constricted. And then Jesus comes along and it's like, and all these great things are happening through women in the early church. So that's something to consider as well. And then, like, just to give you a couple examples from the New Testament. Romans 16 is an interesting place to go as far as, like, it, it, servants go, female servants. Because Paul, is, this is the last chapter of this letter, very important letter to the church in Rome, and he gives a shout-out to all these people that he's done ministry with. A third of the people that he gives a shout-out to are women. Like, really important women that have done really incredible things, right alongside Paul, contending for the faith, his co-workers. So we're not going to read it today because it's a whole chapter, but read that. And understand the context, because Phoebe is who he launches in with. And I just want to give you a couple of examples of how we see this in Scripture. Again, why are we doing what we do? What, what are we saying? All this stuff. What do we see? Romans chapter 16, verse 1. And it's interesting that when he closes, he would start first with this woman. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant or a diakonon, and that's a, a male noun, of the church of Kincrea. Now, that right there, anytime a person in the New Testament world, not just in the Bible, but in that New Testament world, anytime you see blank of the church of blank, that is always an official capacity. It's not just saying, hey man, Phoebe, she's a great helper. She's a great servant, and she's, she's a part of that church over there. This phrase right here is always used to recognize somebody officially. That's just how that phrase is used. So that's another thing that points me to being like, all right, that's, so she's probably in that role. If that's the case, which I believe it is, Phoebe is the only mentioned deacon in the Bible. Not just female, not male, like the only named deacon in the Bible, which I think is very interesting. So that's something to consider when we talk about, again, how are women being involved in church and in church service and like loving the body. So because of that, this, it seems like this is probably the earliest reference in church history to a deacon, to this official office. So it's something cool to consider as well. So lastly, what happened to those churches that the people of the Bible planted? This is another thing we need to think about. When we're trying to figure out how do we do church, and that's what this series is all about, how do we do church? Well, you have the apostles, and then you have the people that they discipled, and then you have the people that they discipled. How did all those people, so you have the apostolic church, the apostles are still a part of, and then you have the patristic church for 600 years or so, how did they do church? What did that look like? And then that's, like, so here's some examples. Last week we talked about Pliny the Younger. He found two deaconesses, and he's writing to Emperor Trajan. He tortures these two deaconesses to death to find out what Christians believe. How do you know who they were? Well, they weren't recognized by him as deaconesses. They were recognized by their church as deaconesses and by their community. So he kidnaps them, tortures them to death to find out what they believe. Right? So, a little bit later in church history, 
origin of Alexandria. This guy, major thinker in church history, and he says this in First Timothy chapter three, verse eleven. So the verse, the contested verse we read. He said this passage teaches that there were women ordained in the church's ministry by the apostle Paul's authority. Not only that, they ought to be ordained in the ministry because they helped in many ways, and by their good services, deserve the praise even of the apostle himself. And then this lady's really cool, Olympus. This lady right here, fourth uh, century A.D. She was a widow deaconess of the church, crazy rich, really wealthy. She used her wealth to serve the church, like wealthy on the, uh, on the level of having many estates. And she donated these estates to the church. And John Chrysostom is one of the guys that were in that area, and like a really famous preacher. And she would just donate money, donate her stuff. And then she herself sustained 250 women at a time in one of these estates. Because being a single lady back then, being a widow lady, all these kind of things, that could be a dangerous world for you to live in. And so she had 250 of them that she just sustained out of her own pocket. Just the service to the church, the service to the kingdom. It's really cool. So, jumping way ahead now to John Calvin. If you're familiar with this guy, he's the guy that broke Catholicism, right? So this guy was a part of the Reformation movement, the break away from Catholicism, right? The Protestant movement started largely because of John Calvin and others, and so there's this movement away from that, and he started what now is known as Calvinism, right, his teaching. But one of the most important thinkers and preachers in history, and he says, Deaconesses were appointed to perform a public ministry of the church toward the poor, to labor with all zeal, attention, diligence, and offices of charity. So, again, I'm trying to show you this big swath here, just briefly, and this kind of stuff is really cool to me, and I had a bunch more in here, but Brittany was like, that's too much, you got to call that stuff out. But like church after church, over century after century, and then lastly, Charles Spurgeon, probably one of the most famous preachers of all time. He was a reformed guy. He was a Calvinist, you know, one of the most influential guys uh, in Christianity. He says, deaconesses, those, that's an office that most certainly was recognized by the apostolic church, you know, by the apostles. It would be a great mercy if God gave us the privilege of having many sons who all preach the gospel and many daughters who were all eminent in the church as teachers, deaconesses, missionaries, and the like. The church is a powerful thing. It's a messy thing, but it's one that God has used to literally change all of history. And so I want to show the power of that church throughout history. I want to show you the power of the church in the New Testament. And I also want to like, look at Scripture and say, what does the Bible actually say about these things? Because here's the thing about being a deacon. The deacon and the role of a deacon officially recognized in the church is not only vitally important for a male or a female to serve in that role, it's also an honor and something that we should look to that role as. This is an example of recognized servant leader in our church. And so I just want to be clear why things are done the way they are, that we're staying as close as we can to Scripture. We don't have all the answers for everything, but we're always going to go back to Scripture and say, right, what, what do we have? What is this supposed to be? Why did Christianity change the world? What were they doing differently than what we're doing? Right? Let's try to model our, our, what we're doing here, like those original sheep that uh, our good shepherd shepherded. So let me close and pray on that. Lord, I... I thank you for what you've done um, in, in my life through the local church. And I thank you for what you've done in history and how you just, uh, you, you've done uh, unexpected and wild things through people, through your church. And you've always pushed back against culture. You've always pushed back, pushed back against expectations and tradition. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us not to throw any of those things away, but to make sure they line up with what you said. 
God, I pray that we would do this well here. I pray your spirit would empower what we do at home, at the office, um, out in town, and right here, Lord, as we gather as your people. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. That's all I've got today. Love you guys. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.